Well, thank you. I appreciate you all kind of stepping out a little bit there. Um, it's, it has been a tough week. Uh, it's been a tough week nationally, globally, and personally for our congregation. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that um, and say it's a bit ironic that the series just happened to end up that today was going to focus on playful experimentation. Uh, we're in a series titled Transformational Congregations in Changing Times. And remember, we've talked about this as being the transformational nature is that it's transforming for the individual, it's transforming for the congregation, and it's transforming for the community. Now, somebody asked me recently, is this, are we going through this series as part of your doctorate? And the answer is kind of no, not really, but a little bit yes. And here's the yes of it, because in my research, I started um, researching urban churches that, were very, that are very similar to our church. Downtown churches, struggling, declining, and all of a sudden they started to change what they were doing, and when they changed or transformed, they started to grow and started to get bigger and started to thrive. And so I said, huh, well, if the characteristics that they're incorporating into their congregations is helping them to grow, then perhaps we should think about these characteristics for ourselves. These characteristics are simply characteristics for healthy, growing congregations, particularly in urban settings. So who remembers the first one that we talked about, the first characteristic? That was three weeks ago, Pastor Lance. <laughs> Curiosity, right? Curiosity killed the cat, but it maybe saved the church, right? So curiosity, being curious about what's going on around us, curious about what's happening in the life of our community and in the life of, of our congregation. The second was, give us a hint. <laughs> Self-assessment, right? Honest self-assessment. I even gave you homework. Did anybody bring the homework back? No. <laughs> None of you get a star by your name. <laughs> okay, so that's okay. Um, the idea here is that we look honestly at ourselves and say, okay, this is working, this is not working. Um, you know, it's that old saying of what's insanity. It's continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If we're not growing, then maybe we should change things and try new things and do new things. So that's, um, that's the idea behind that. Today, it's playful experimentation. I'm sure you've heard the term, the church that prays together stays together, or the family that prays together stays together. But I truly believe that the church that plays together stays together. Um, it was interesting. I uh, used to work at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church down in Newport Beach. The senior pastor at that church was a very stiff man. Do I get an amen, Betty? <laughs> Betty knew him. He was incredible. This is how stiff John was. I'll just use his first name. He ironed his Levi blue jeans. He ironed them. Who irons their blue jeans? 
you guys are stiff. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. So um, his daughters used to go, Dad, stop ironing your blue jeans. So I used to, I, you know, he was very tall and very stuffy and, and had this voice like, you know. And um, so I was, a little, I was a little intimidated by him. Most of the people in the church were a little intimidated by him, thought he was very cold and, and this. And then one day, I went into the junior high room, and there was John, I almost said his last name, down on the floor with a ping pong ball. Doing that with a bunch of other junior hires. And my respect for that man went up a whole lot when I saw that. Because he was playing with the kids. And I thought, this guy's got to win. He's got so much hot air. <laughs> so I just told uh, Xander about that game. I said, the youth got to do it. It's a fun game. Playful experimentation. Just being playful. We're going to talk more about experimentation in a future service. But today, I want to talk about being playful. Having fun. I'm out of breath now. Um, just being playful, our world is pretty messed up right now. Um, the news has been horrendous this past week. Um, people are trying to make sense of it. Some people are using it for their own political agendas, societal agendas. I was incredibly frustrated to see that Pat Robertson said that um, the shooting in Las Vegas was some sort of judgment on people for not following Trump. And I thought, oh, how can people use activity like this to to push their own agendas. It just drives me crazy when people do that. Um, Las Vegas was a heinous act of a single individual, a broken individual, and um, there's really no understanding it. Um, I don't know if we'll ever fully understand why he did what he did. Um, there's no political agenda for him. There was no uh, religious anything. He just did what he did. But I did read an article that I thought was very helpful. The article was by an author named Charlie Hone. Ironically, as I prepared for this service, he wrote a book titled, Play It Away. Um, and he wrote an article called Thoughts on Vegas and Why Men Keep Doing This. And he refers to Columbine, he refers to shootings that go all the way back to the tower shooting in Texas. I think it was Texas. Um, and he doesn't want to set Paddock up as a victim. His act was heinous. But he says that men in these situations have a tendency to be chronically lonely in the United States of America. Chronically lonely. They're raised up to think real men do everything on their own. Real men stand for themselves. Real men don't cry. Real men express anger through violence. They're taught this in their video games, at least. Um, he refers to a documentary called The Mask You Live In, where boys in our society are shaped into mentally unstable adults. And we're seeing a rise in our culture, I think, today, of 
um, loneliness and isolation, in particularly among men. Um, no one kills themselves when they're hungry, but we kill ourselves when we're lonely. In the 1960s, there was one school shooting for the entire decade. In the 1980s, 27. The 1990s, 58. This past decade, 120. Loneliness drives individuals to attack people in their community. They attack people they blame for their loneliness. Um, so loneliness is a major factor, I think, in what happens with these individuals. Secondly, those who commit violent acts are oftentimes shamed or humiliated. They feel shame. Um, psychiatrist James Gilligan talks about this. He says they, see, they say they themselves, um, they see themselves as having died on the inside uh, before they start killing others. They've already felt dead inside. They had no capacity for feeling, for feeling for others, for feeling for themselves, no emotional feelings, no empathy whatsoever. Gilligan states, I have yet to see a serious act of violence that was not provoked by the experience of feeling ashamed or humiliated, disrespected, and ridiculed. People just react, and they react with violence. So the question is, what gets us through? What gets us beyond these feelings of loneliness and isolation and shame? Friendship. Friendship. Uh, the love and support of people you get, um, and you can get that kind of friendship with play, with being together and playing games. When was the last time you had a game night at your house? When was the last time our church had a game night? When was the last time we went to the park and played softball or played ultimate frisbee or any kind of game? We just haven't done that for a while, and I think we need to do that. We need to be more playful together. Um, some people say, well, play is for kids. No. One quote I read this week, play may be God's greatest gift to humankind. Um, that's how we form friendships. That's how we learn skills. That's how we um, learn to survive. Play forms bonds, um, communicates safety, teaches us how to work as a team, to work with others. Uh, there's a correlation between play deprivation and mental illness, according to Hone, who wrote that article. Um, now, some people would say, well, that Vegas shooter, he played video, uh, played video gambling all the time. I'm telling you, those video games isolate you more than anything. You just get into your own little world, and you shut everybody else out. That's why it drives me crazy when I see people playing video, kids playing video games. Uh, Dr. Peter Gray writes this, over the past century in the United States and other developed nations, children's free play with other children has declined sharply. Over the same period, anxiety, depression, suicide, feelings of helplessness, and narcissism have increased sharply in children, adolescents, and young adults. The decline in play has contributed to the rise in psychopathology of young people. So there's a relation between play or lack of it and psychopathology. Common factors for mass shooters. They're often deeply lonely, they often feel deep shame, and they experience what this writer says is play deprivation. 
So the answer is, let's take them to church. Are you having fun? Take them to church, sit them in a pew, make them stand up, sit down, sing, pray. Maybe the church needs to go out and have a little fun and play a little bit. Um, unfortunately, the church can be anything but playful, especially we Presbyterians who pride ourselves in being the chosen frozen. Right? So no clapping, no shouting, no haze. Oh boy, here goes the pastor again doing this song that goes, na, 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 hey. But that's play. That's having fun. That's getting the endorphins going. And that's why healthy, growing congregations have incorporated playful experimentation. One of the reasons they're growing is because they've incorporated playful experimentation. So let's have fun together. Let's have fun together. Let's laugh more. I know I tell terrible jokes, but it's just to get some laughter going. So what's the biblical? The key verse that's written in your bulletin. Memorize it this week. That's your assignment for this week. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bone. This has actually been proven medically true. Medically. Cheerful spirits, cheerful hearts, happy, laughing people live longer. Depressed, sad people die earlier. Well, if that doesn't make you depressed, I don't know what will, but... Barbara Johnson points out, laughter has proven to speed recovery from illness. Laughter is a magnet. It draws other people to you. Admittedly, they might be wearing white coats, but as Solomon said, there's a time to cry, but there's also a time to laugh. Yes, crying is an important part of human experience, and we have been crying this past week, um, but laughter is important too. Laughter is like jogging for the spirit. It's just healthy for us. Joy is a part of the God spirit. When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. It's the second on the list, right after love. Um, the Psalms exhort us to be joyful. It doesn't say, well, if you feel happy, it says, be joyful. So it's a choice. And when David danced before the Lord, he expressed joy, and his wife judged him. She despised him in her heart. Do you ever have that when you're laughing and having a good time and people around you go, ugh. Happens to me all the time. Pretty much every Sunday around 10.30. <laughs> but David was known as a man after God's own heart. Uh, even though his wife despised him. The funny thing is, Jesus partied. You can quote me on that. Jesus partied. He went out and hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He went to parties with them. Now, if I went to a party with prostitutes, what, what would you all think? Pastor Lance shouldn't be doing that. 
And Jesus said that in this passage from uh, Matthew, and I'm going to read that now. Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 19. Jesus praises John the Baptist and says this. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist. What did you go out to the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. Because, of course, John wore camel skin and was kind of a homeless man, really. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has risen, arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. So this was a messianic prophecy that said that Elijah would come before the Messiah, and, that, and Jesus is making it very clear. John the Baptist was that fulfillment of that prophecy that Elijah would come. John the Baptist was, in fact, um, represented Elijah. Jesus goes on to say, but to what will I compare this generation? And this is what I love. This is what, why I chose this passage for today. It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We wailed, and you didn't mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So what jo Jesus is saying is John the Baptist came along and he preached, a gospel, or preached about repentance and he was kind of tough and he was heavy and he spoke harshly and you all said he has a demon because you didn't like that call to repentance. And then Jesus comes along and he started partying with everybody and hanging out with the sinners and you said, oh, he's a sinner. He's hanging out with and wicked people. You just can't win with some people, right? And Jesus felt that way. The religious leaders were constantly judging those around them because they didn't like what they were saying because they were making them do some self-assessment that they didn't want to deal with. But Jesus hung out with those sinners, and he went to parties. I love the story when he's walking to Jerusalem and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. Let's go to your house. And they had a big party. And what happened? Zacchaeus committed, repented and committed his life to, to God that day because of that. Because he was having fun. I remember when I was in high school, we had a, um, a guest speaker one time. I'll never forget. It was so good. I still remember it to this day. But he told the story of, <clears throat> called it the fifth gospel. It wasn't actually part of the first four of the time that the disciples were with Jesus down by the River Jordan, and um, the disciples had gotten into the River Jordan, and they're all young, they're like in their 20s, um, and they started kind of splashing each other, and then all of a sudden this furious water fight happened, 
and Jesus had come down to get a drink of water from the Jordan, and John, being the youngest of the disciples, all of a sudden went to splash Thomas, and the water went flying and hit Jesus, and all the disciples froze. Dude, you just hit Jesus, the Son of God. You just got him wet. And Jesus slowly rose, walked over to John, put his hand on his shoulder, and went dunked him, and then the most furious water fight happened in the history of humankind. That's the kind of Jesus that I love. And that's the kind of church people love. So, I think the solution for us is we need to provide more opportunities of play. Um, I mean, when was the last time we went, had a picnic at the park? Let's go have a picnic and play games together. When was the last time we all went to the beach and had a beach day? Um, when was the last time we went up to the mountains? Or just a game night here at the church? Um, I know O. Scott McFarland, he uh, used to take members fishing up in the mountains. He took the women, Presbyterian women fishing. What would you think if your pastor took a bunch of women up into the mountains? Um, or, or a day golfing or something like that, just having fun together. I know Xander's working with our youth and he's, he wants to do a ping pong tournament. Uh, my friend Alfredo actually started a monthly ping pong tournament at his church that's open to the community. And they're having quite a few people show up who've never come to the church before, but they like the idea of this ping pong tournament. So um, they're showing up for that. The thing is, especially with men, um, and I kind of believe that there is a difference between men and women. I, I grew up with that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or vice versa, whatever it is. Um, women are pretty good at talking. Uh, and they get together and they talk, and they do things together and they talk. Guys, not so much. Um, we kind of need to be doing something in order to start those conversations. I was listening to a psychologist on the radio the other day, and she said, her son would get home from school, he was 13, and she'd have um, snacks ready for him. And she'd set the snacks on the table and say, come on, sit down. Um, and she'd give him snacks and she'd sit across from him and say, okay, let's talk about your day. How you doing? Fine. How was your day? Fine. Anything exciting happen today? Nope. Want to talk about anything? Nope. That was that. She said, gosh, how can I engage him? And then she said, instead of having snacks ready for him when he got home, she realized, I'm going to say, hey, come on in, help me put some snacks together. And they started working with their hands. She never looked at him in the eyes. And all of a sudden, the conversation started to take off. Because guys like to be doing something with their hands. And then the conversations start. That's one reason play is so great. When I was working with youth, I used to say the best conversations I have is either sitting on the ski lift, heading up the mountains, or sitting in the ocean waiting for the next set of waves to come in. Those conversations just happen organically. But when you sit down, say, okay, let's talk, what's going on? You say that to a guy and it's, <gasps> it's like they feel like they're being um, interrogated, exactly. 
So let's provide opportunities to play together. Let's prioritize play. Um, yes, there are things to get done at home. I know there are honeydew lists out there, but let's not neglect our relationships with one another. Um, let's remember the church that prays together stays together, but more importantly today, the church that plays together stays together.